Cause sometimes I be right. Hello. Welcome to the show. Yes. Listen, I'm I'm really glad, honestly. Quite honestly, there are times where I'll feel kinda awkward doing a show this late in the week. Cause you know this show comes out on Thursdays. So sometimes something will happen in the NFL on Sunday and it's like, well, I'm talking about a Thursday. But it's weeks like this one, post-Super Bowl, where I'm happy, where I'm happy that I'm last. That everyone else gets to go out there and talk and say whatever they want, give their analysis and their opinions, da-da-da-da-da. And after everyone settled down and now they've moved on to something else, here I come to give my takes. That's that's cool to me. Because you've heard it all. You've heard all the nonsense, the hogwash, who wanted it more, this and that, da-da-da-da-da. And now you come in here. To sometimes I be right to hear the real. And I'm here to provide it. Welcome back, Cyber Family. If this is your first time joining us, welcome. This is Sometimes I Be Right. I am your host, John Farris, reporting live from Trash Can Studios. As always, joined by my co-host Wally. Say what up, Wally. So as I said, man, this for me is fun that I get to come in at this moment. At this moment, to tell you what's really going on. And let me put it this way. We learned a lot. That Super Bowl taught us as football fans. It taught me. It taught a lot of people a lot. And the great teams, the great organizations, the great GMs, the great coaches, they were all paying attention. And they noticed something. And what they noticed, we're here to talk about today. So what I want to start with, we got a couple things to get into. What I want to start with is, first of all, I said for the entire season up until last week that I didn't buy the Eagles. I thought the Eagles were overrated. I thought they were one and done bound. I didn't think they would do very much at all. That was my statement, right? And then I came in last week and I said, man, that defensive line is legit. Say what you want. I was a hater. That's a legit defensive line. They got no sacks in the Super Bowl, but I'm here to say they're still legit. I know, you know, the conversation has been all week. Well, were they overrated? And then they start breaking down the stats and look what they did against these quarterbacks and versus the bad quarterbacks. Hogwash. Crap. That's trash. Okay. I'm not going to do that. I'm not now, in retrospect, going to go back and try to change an opinion. No, 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 no. You play who you play. You made your assessment of what you thought they were. You thought they were great, legendary defense. But the defensive line, they hurried Mahomes at points, and that offensive line stepped up to the challenge. They had two weeks to focus on that one team. That one aspect. That was the game. If, if if Kansas City, and I said it to my wife. Look, if you if you have a girlfriend or a wife who's not deep into football or it's kind of casual, watch the games with her and then say whatever's going through your mind out loud. <laughs> and then you'll be like, wow, like, you know, you'll start to realize things. Uh, at least you have a sounding board and you'll start to like, you know, breaking things down. And that's how you start a podcast. <laughs> but I had said to her early, if the Chiefs offensive line could give Mahomes time back there, if they can protect him, 
The Eagles cannot stop the Chiefs. It's just not going to happen. So that that was the game. And the Chiefs were able to give Mahomes some time, give him just enough to be able to make some throws. They adjusted the offense slightly. Let's not worry about going downfield so much. Let's kind of keep everything. Let's just get the ball out. Let's keep the thing moving, right? Keep that defense guessing. And they committed to the run. And they had success. Now, all year, you could see the Eagles had a very specific way they wanted to play. Let's control the ball on offense, drive downfield, long drives, rushing the ball, and then we'll score a touchdown. And now the other team's going to get it. We can put pressure on the quarterback. Because, look, the reality is, is in every football game, the first one or two drives, you're probably going to be able to get a defensive stop, right? Probably. So you get a stop. So let's say the Eagles get the ball first, as they did. They go down, score a touchdown, get the ball back, right? If they can make a stop, they you know they get the ball again, and they go down and score again. Now they're up 10 or maybe 14 on you. And now you kind of start to adjust your offensive game plan because they went down and scored relatively easy, right? That's the, the perception of it. And once you do that and you become one-dimensional, then they pin their ears back and they start attacking your quarterback and that defensive line and that front is able to get pressure make a really hard day for you, make you rush throws, do all that stuff, giving the back end um, or the secondary an easy day. They don't have to cover for very long because you're getting a bunch of pressure and you can hide some things. That's their route to win. If you disrupt that, as teams have done, well, now all of a sudden, well, it looks different. And you saw when Jalen Hurts went out, okay, and you put and you put in Gardner Minshew, they can say, oh, he's not as good as Jalen Hurts. Well, the thing is, is that they play different. He doesn't have the running ability of Jalen Hurts. So he, you, so when you when they do running plays, it's not as dynamic because you're not worried about the running back or the quarterback, excuse me, going the opposite way with the ball. You're not worried about a read option because you don't trust Gardner Minshew to carry the ball. And even if he does, he's not athletic enough to really hurt you. So that's the real reason why it looked different. But what you saw was when teams were able to say, well, we're not worried about that and we could kind of take you off what you like to do, they didn't win. So that was the blueprint. That's all Kansas City had to do was try to take them off of what they like to do. And, you know, they didn't really do that well. But they ended up getting the win. So let's start. Let's start with the obvious. OK, well, let's start with the obvious. The 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 big the big takeaway was the did the referees blow the game? I know that there's a million uh, there's a million Philadelphia fans right now who are sitting there thinking the referees totally screwed us. And you're probably right. You're probably right. When I watched it, I immediately clapped because, look, I hate the I hate the Eagles. I'm not going to lie to you. I hate the Eagles. I'm a Cowboys fan. I hate the Eagles. I do. So I was I was happy. I was like, thank I was like, thank God. I finally got a break. I can't see the Eagles win a Super Bowl again. But then when they showed the replay, I looked at my wife and I said, that's a really bad call. Now, I know that everyone said, well, by the letter of the law, that was the right call. So if you didn't watch it, James Bradbury uh, was guarding Juju Smith-Schuster. And Juju makes an inside cut. And then I guess the route is to cut it back outside. So he takes a step inside and then goes back outside. So they say coming out of his break, the corner Bradbury held him and then grabbed his jersey again to avoid getting beat. Here's the way it looked to me. I know by the letter of the law, it's a penalty. But in my opinion, this is a classic case of don't be mad at the person calling the play. Be mad at the rule. Because Juju Smith-Schuster is running his route. 
And in running his route, he runs directly into Bradbury. Runs into him. If Bradbury doesn't kind of semi-wrap his arms around Juju, he's going to fall. Which means Juju is essentially able to run up and push this man over and then finish his route and there's no penalty. So what does he do? What every person would naturally do if you are backpedaling and some guy runs and hits you with a shoulder to the chest. You're probably going to reach out for him to grab, like hopefully protect yourself from falling. So he does that. And then Juju immediately goes to turn and run away. And he's still trying to just hold on so he don't fall. Now I get it. That's holding. But at the same time, if I'm a ref or if I'm the NFL, I'm saying, look, what are we doing here? Why are we making the game so skewed toward offense to where the offensive player can literally run into a defender? And if the defender grabs him or reaches for him or does anything just to prevent himself from falling, all of a sudden it's a penalty. You can't stop the receiver from going where he wants to go. Oh, so I have to let him run any which way he wants to. I can't put I can't put a hand on him because that's illegal touching past five yards. So he's going to run wherever he wants. I can't touch him. I can't bump him. I can't run into him. I can't accidentally get our feet tangled up. Can't do anything. Can't touch the receiver at all. I have to let him run his route. Then if he's going to catch the ball, if he touches the ball, I can't hit him because that's personal foul, um, unnecessary roughness, uh, hitting a defenseless receiver. So now I have to let him run his route without impeding him at all, without touching him or nothing. Then I have to let him cut, t- catch the ball without touching him or nothing. And then when he does get to the ground, I have to like what? Let him get two feet in bounds and get two feet and then make a football play before trying to attack the ball. So you see, like the whole system is set up to say, let the offense do what they want because that's what people want to see. And apparently they're right because guess what happens? This, this, you know, everyone's coming out of this game saying this is one of the best Super Bowls they've seen in a long time. It's one of the greatest Super Bowls of all time and da-da-da-da-da and all the normal stuff that they say. But this call, 100%, should not have been made in my opinion. Because I don't think the contact prevented a completed catch. I don't. I don't think so at all. I don't. He didn't grab him enough to say where the ball landed to where Juju was. I don't think that that slight grab was the reason why he wasn't at that spot. I don't think so. And I don't even think Mahomes tried to complete the pass to him. I think he just kind of threw it out there thinking like there was a penalty for sure. I wouldn't if I am a Eagles fan, I'm mad at the call. And here's what I would say to all the Chiefs fans who say it was a penalty. If the roles were reversed and this had happened to you and your team was on defense and the Chiefs were on defense and that penalty was called, would you be thinking, you got to make that call? No, you wouldn't. If you're a fan of the Chiefs right now and the roles were reversed and you were the one who got the penalty called, then you'd be doing the same exact thing. That's why I hate it. See, because the Eagles fans were mad that they gave Goddard the catch too. But if that had been Travis Kelsey, you would have wanted that catch. So you you got it. You can't do this. If it's me, if it's for me, I'm with it. If it's against me, it's a bad call. You can't be that type of person. I think that I don't think the call should have been made. I think in the Super Bowl you let the players decide it. I think that the it wasn't egregious. If that second little tug of the jersey, which by the way I don't even think he got the jersey. I think his hand. I think he went to grab it and couldn't grab it. <laughs> That's what it looked like to me. There wasn't enough of a grab that it prevented. Now if it's egregious, sure. Like earlier in the game, there was a play that he made on Juju where Juju was crossing the middle and he grabbed his left arm and kind of turned him, completely preventing him from being able to catch the ball. That's a penalty. That last one, tiki-tack. 
That last one was like, yeah, by the letter of the law, it's a penalty. But guess what? In real time, fast time, you're not calling that penalty. If you slow it down by mil- like to the slowest degree, sure, you can kind of see like, all right, technically, yes. But look, in real time, let the players decide it on the field. If they don't make that call, I don't think anyone's screaming today that that call needed to be made. I don't. I think everyone's like, oh, man. Oh, field goal. Let's see what happens. I think everyone will be excited to see Jalen Hurts get the ball. Speaking of Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts had a great game. He did. I'm not going to lie. He did. He was 27 of 38 for 304 yards and a touchdown. He ran the ball 15 times for 70 yards and three more touchdowns. Now, the three touchdowns not as impressive to me because, let's be honest, that the quarterback sneak play, we need they need to get rid of that. You need to get rid of giving teams the ability to push guys forward. It's not, it's not fair. It, it, it's not a competitive balance. If it's fourth and one and they line up, under center with two guys behind the quarterback ready to just push him forward that is not fair it is not i don't it you as a as a defense you are not going to stop the play you can't it's physically impossible because with the forward progress rule means i just have to nudge you far enough that even if they push you back they're going to give you forward progress it's an impossible play to stop for the defense which means every fourth down or third down is short. Just get in that formation, push forward. You're going to get it and keep the ball moving. It's not fair for the defense. They don't have a chance to defend it. And you even saw Jones jump over the top. But, like, what are you going to do? I'm diving. I'm laying down now on a pile of bodies, and I got two guys pushing for, against me. I don't have any leverage to even push Jalen Hurts back. And even if I do my best job of just holding him still, these two guys behind are going to push him enough forward to where they're going to give him forward progress. The NFL needs to get rid of that. And if I'm being honest, I think they are. I think after the season, I think in the offseason when they have the the owners meetings and discuss the rules and competition boards, I think they're getting rid of that. I think they're going to take it out. It's painful to watch because they line up in it and you're like, oh, yeah, there's no drama anymore. You get rid of that fourth and one. Like, oh, can they get it? Like, yeah, of course they will. So I'm, I'm, I'm less impressed with the three touchdowns because a lot of those were close touchdowns. It wasn't like, you know, let's be honest. I think two of the three. Or on the sneak like that. Like that's, yeah, whatever. But he did play great. I'm not going to lie. He played great. Much better than I thought he would. So now the conversation moves to Jalen Hurts getting paid. Jalen Hurts going to get paid. But Jalen Hurts getting big time money means the rest of the team is going to have to take a step back. It happens all of the time. I even heard it on, uh, I can't remember what show it was. But the guy was saying, you know, if you're going to pay Lamar Jackson, you know, this is what you get. If you're going to pay these quarterbacks, this is what happens. Teams take a step back. They eat up a bunch of the cap, and you can't really build out the rest of the team, and you lose a bunch of good players. Somebody has to go. That's what happened with the Rams. The Rams got themselves in a salary cap situation where they had to let guys go. It happened with Seattle when they had Russell Wilson on a rookie contract. As soon as it was time for him to get paid, you had to let some of those other defensive guys go because you couldn't afford everybody. And you got to pay the quarterback, right? So now if you're the Eagles, you think, okay, if Jalen Hurts has to get paid because we believe he's the guy who played well, he showed us, he's done everything we've asked him to do, it's time to get paid. If you pay him big money, that means the rest of the team, you're going to have to make some cuts somewhere else. And they got some big free agents coming up that they're probably going to have to make a tough decision on. Is Jalen Hurts a carry the franchise guy? Can you say without a doubt, if they lose some of those defenders, Jalen Hurts is good enough to still get this team to a Super Bowl? Is he good enough to carry a bad roster to a Super Bowl? 
That's what you have to ask yourself. I don't think Jalen Hurts did anything this year that would make me believe that he can still carry the franchise. Because you didn't think that of him last year. You thought he was getting better, but still not there. And now this year, coming into it, you still had questions. But then they had a really good year, and you thought, wow, now you think he's the guy all of a sudden? Like, mm, I'd be careful. Buyer beware. We've seen this a million times. I have another great example that I'll use in, in, in another topic, but I'll bring up another quarterback and another situation that this really, really reminds me of. So if Jalen Hurts is going to get paid, you have to ask yourself the question, do you think he's a carry the franchise kind of guy? I personally don't. And I think because every year he has gotten better. But I don't think you look at this team and think that if that defense didn't do what they did, they'd still be in the Super Bowl. I don't think that if you got, because look, let's, let's call a spade a spade. The Eagles are good, right? Sure, they're a good team. But they also got to play the Giants in the playoffs at home on a Saturday night. Coming off a bye week when the Giants had to play the week before. Advantage Eagles. Right? You'd expect them to win that game. They were favored, correct? Of course, they were favored by a touchdown. And then the very next week, again, you're at home and you're playing the 49ers. Now, the 49ers are coming into the game with a rookie quarterback who started off as like third or fourth string to start the year. And is only playing due to injury. Now, yes, he was playing really well. And that team's really good. But he got injured in the first quarter. Then their backup comes in and he gets injured in like the second quarter or third quarter, early in the third quarter. So now you're down to a quarterback that didn't start the year on your roster. That's who you're playing in the NFC Championship game. And the Eagles offense struggled against that defense for most of that game. That game was way closer than it needed to be when you consider the 49ers didn't even have a quarterback for half the game. Like that game was way closer than it should have been. So when you look at the Eagles road to get there, if the Eagles had to play, let's say, um, I don't know, the Vikings instead of the instead of the Giants, is that a tougher game? Absolutely it is. Let's say the 49ers, let's say their quarterback is healthy. Let's say Jimmy Garoppolo's in there. Is that a tougher game than what they played when you had Christian McCaffrey taking quarterback snaps? Of course it is. So I don't think the team is like, oh, yeah, like Jalen Hurts can carry this team. Like, they're good. Just pay Jalen Hurts, and that's all you need. I don't think he's that guy. And another thing that came up, and listen, I'm not trying to be a hater, but when they were talking about during the broadcast about how um, his road to the NFL was an amazing story and how, like, he got pushed out. He got forced to transfer. He never ran from a challenge. He was always there ready to compete. Nobody forced him to transfer from Alabama. What happened was he got benched for a better player. Tua was better in college than Jalen Hurts. And they benched him because he wasn't performing well in the national championship game. So they benched him, brought in Tua, and Tua won the game. And then the next year they said, we're going with Tua. He's better than you. So Jalen Hurts left because he wasn't going to play. They didn't force him to transfer. They just said, best man's going to play. And the best man ain't you. So So don't do that. Nobody forced him out. He didn't get screwed over. They did him a favor. And then he goes to Oklahoma, and then he gets to show everybody that he could throw a bit. You put him in a good system, and you say, hey, here's what you do well. Let's use those things. And that's all they've done in, in Philadelphia. And this isn't hate. Jalen Hurts overperformed expectations this year. He's a good player. 
I don't think there's any problem with him. I wouldn't list them on the teams that need to be looking into getting a quarterback. I don't think so. I think that's the guy you ride with for the foreseeable future. I'm just saying, if you're going to give him the big money, I don't know that he's the guy that's going to be able to carry the franchise and you don't have to worry and you could take a step back elsewhere. So make sure whatever money you give him, figure out a way to improve the team around him because I don't know if he's the carry the guy, carry the team kind of guy. So let's talk about let's talk about Patrick Mahomes cuz Patrick Mahomes is being I heard the question be proposed is Patrick Mahomes on his way to being the greatest quarterback of all time. And that made me want, I threw up in my mouth a little bit when I heard it. And for two reasons. Number one, I'm sick and tired of this generation. And I don't mean young people or whatever. When I say generate this era of sports, where we are so in a rush, we are so rushed to make dramatic grand statements where we just want to like is he is he going to be the goat after like a year it's like bro chill every quarterback is he the best quarterback prospect we've ever seen like why like why are we have why are we so dramatic chill i understand they've been to the afc championship every year that he's been a starting quarterback i get it that's very impressive it's a team sport I get that he's been to three Super Bowls in the first five years. That's impressive. It's a team sport. I get that he's won two Super Bowls in his first five years. I get it. It's impressive. It's a team sport. If he's the greatest quarterback of all time or on that on that path, because he's won two Super Bowls, then where does Travis Kelsey rank as tight end? Is he one of the greatest tight ends of all time? Is he the greatest tight end of all time? Because he's got two Super Bowls. He's hosted the five, the last five AFC Championship games. He's been to three of the last four Super Bowls. He's won two of the last four Super Bowls. All the winning accolades you give to a quarterback, you can give to every single player on that team. But none of them get brought up into the conversation for winning Super Bowls. We never talk about who's the tackle who has the most Super Bowl victories in his career. We don't give them victories or losses. It's just weird. So when I say it's a team sport, I mean, yes, Patrick Mahomes is great. He's great. He's got great talent. You knew that coming out in the draft that his arm talent was the best in that class. Bar none, arm talent, just pure arm talent. Dude, it's elite, like crazy. But don't kid yourself. Like there's plenty of quarterbacks throughout the history who have made, like Brett Favre. Brett Favre's arm was like, as a kid growing up, Brett Favre was was Patrick Mahomes. Where make every throw from every arm angle, all types of crazy stuff, running, whatever, throw it like throw it all over the place, throw it 90 yards in the air on the run. Like Brett Favre was doing insane things. Arm talent with Brett Favre was whew. They talked about how he'd break your finger. He had so many zip on the ball. So don't make it seem like Patrick Mahomes is like an unheard of type of like I've never seen a quarterback throw the ball this well. Like, what are you talking about? Y'all told me just two years ago, Aaron Rodgers was the best thrower of the football in NFL history. Now, all of a sudden, Patrick Mahomes is like, we've never seen anything like Patrick. Like, what? He's not the fastest quarterback ever. He doesn't have the most rushing yards ever. He doesn't do anything with his legs that you haven't seen before. Michael Vick, anyone? Like, what are you talking about? He doesn't have the greatest arm of all time. You would say probably Brett Favre has a stronger arm and probably Aaron Rodgers is way more accurate. 
He's not the biggest guy. Like, so what are you talking about? Now, again, this isn't hate, but let's stop. Let's stop having this. We want to rush to, to to crown somebody. We want to ignore everything in history. We want, we want to be a part of history so bad. We want to be a part of history so bad that everything that happens now is either the greatest game ever, the greatest play ever, the greatest post. Everything has to be the greatest ever or something. We've never seen anything like this. Yes, we have. We've seen a lot of things like this. You know, we've never seen. We never saw a guy at the height of his career go to jail for two years, come out, work his way back, and then dominate the league again. That's what Michael Vick did. That's something we've never seen. We've never seen anything like that. Patrick Mahomes and his arm talent or his throwing ability, we've seen that a million times. There are, there are guys that have been more accurate than Patrick Mahomes, guys who have had a stronger arm than Patrick Mahomes, guys who have been faster than Patrick Mahomes. Like, we've seen it. Patrick Mahomes is a great total package. But don't make it seem like we haven't seen anything remotely close to Patrick Mahomes as a, as a, is a talent on a level we've never seen. Do you think Patrick Mahomes is more talented than John Elway was? Stop. Stop. Let's be honest. Do you think Patrick Mahomes was more talented do you think he was more talented than, let's say, Dan Marino? Now, again, this isn't shade on Mahomes. Mahomes is great. He's a great player. If he retired today, you'd have a case to make like, man, he did. He only played five years, but look what he did. That's it's Hall of Fame, right? Like, But let's not pretend like he's some unheard of legend. Like, we're talking about him, can he surpass Tom Brady as the greatest of all time? It's like, based on what? Like, you can't say based on stats, because is he going to reach Peyton Manning? Is he going to reach Drew Brees? Like, in terms of stats, if you want to just look at stats. If we're talking about winning, do we really think he's going to win seven Super Bowls? We think he's going to get five more? You probably do. But if you do, it's because you're doing the exact same thing. The media right now is doing the exact same thing they always warn us not to do. And it always blows up in their face when they do this. And then they come out and say the same thing they always say about how somebody underperformed or whatever. Everyone's just assuming that both the Chiefs and the Eagles are going to be right back here again. Oh, they're just going to get better. Oh, man, if they just add a piece here, a piece there, they're going to be even better. They'll be back. Everyone keeps saying it. Oh, Jalen Hurts, he'll be back. He'll be back. Oh, Mahomes, he's, they're going to do it again. Why not? Look at their team. They got young players, blah, blah, blah. They said that. Like, if they get a legit number one receiver, look out. They're going to be even better. You just did it last year when Russell Wilson got traded to the Broncos. You all said the Broncos are going to be better now. The Broncos are going to be in serious contention now. All they needed was a quarterback. And look how good they're going to be. And they were trash. There's no guarantees in the league. Everyone thought the Buffalo Bills were going to come back this year and just... Be ready to go. And they weren't. And they got into the playoffs against the Bengals and got destroyed. We all assumed that Baltimore was just going to be in it. And injuries happen and things happen and it's not there. Like, remember the Rams won the Super Bowl and were coming back and we thought, could they repeat? And they didn't even make the playoffs. Like, things happen in an NFL season that you can't predict. Don't assume a team's just going to get better. Don't assume a player is just going to keep getting better and better and better and better because we may have seen the best of Jalen Hurts. 
This may be as good as he can be. This is it. So if you think he's just going to get better, he's just going to get better. He's going to keep getting better. Maybe not. Maybe this is it. Maybe this is the peak. And if it is, is that such a bad thing? Not really. It's good enough, right? So let's let's settle down on the Mahomes GOAT talk. We can talk about is Patrick Mahomes the best quarterback in the NFL right now? Is he? Here's what I would say. I would say I would say no, but I also understand that I can't, I'm not mad at you for saying yes. See, in my personal feeling, <laughs> I have Joe Burrow as number one. And then I have Herbert at number two. And then I have Mahomes at number three. Now, here's what I would ask you. If you put either Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert on the Chiefs, do you believe they win the Super Bowl just the same? Not saying do you think they're going to put up the numbers he puts up, but do you think those two quarterbacks, either uh, Herbert or Burrow on the Chiefs, do you think they're capable of winning a Super Bowl? I think most knowledgeable fans would say, yeah, I think they could. You Because you don't think either Burrow or Herbert is going to be the reason you can't win, right? We agree like they're they're not going to lose the game. It's not They're not going to lose the game, right? We don't believe that. Well, maybe you think that about Herbert, but I disagree. But so we we think that they could win the Super. They'd be in contention. It wouldn't be crazy to say so. Well, then I would follow that up with: Do you think Patrick Mahomes can go to the Bengals and lead the Bengals to the Super Bowl just the same? Maybe. But we saw Patrick Mahomes in a Super Bowl against the Bucks, where his offensive line was trashed, and he did not look the same. And all of you gave him a pass because, well, that, that offensive line didn't protect him at all. So what do you think is going to happen in Cincinnati? The offensive line is not going to protect him. He's going to be in the same trouble all year long. And if you put him with, with the Chargers, do you think they win just the same? Maybe. <laughs> Maybe. Now, that would be interesting to see. I just don't know about that coaching staff. You know what I mean? Like that, like Herbert is immensely talented. I think everyone would agree that Herbert is super talented. Even the people who say Herbert is overrated or doesn't deserve the praise as being a top five guy, you're only bringing it to accomplishments. You're bringing it to, well, he hasn't won a playoff game or he's, his record is this and this in the playoffs. Like, what has he done? He hasn't made the playoffs. Like everything, you, you bring up team stats as opposed to what he's capable of doing. But as far as talent goes, there is no discussion. Like I said, that he's a top five talent in the NFL. But that coaching staff does him no favors. So you put Mahomes there. If they don't do Mahomes any favors, and I don't know. I think Mahomes is in a great situation for him. He's got a great relationship with his head coach. The offensive coordinator knows what he does well and puts him in the best position possible. They scheme things up. They do a really good job of taking advantage of the pieces they have. It's a great setup. Andy Reid is a great play caller. He's a great, great play designer. Everyone says it. Everyone knows it. It's a real thing. So I think Mahomes is great. I think Mahomes is on the path to being a Hall of Fame player without a doubt, like no questions asked. He's in the running to be the best quarterback of his era. He's in the running to be listed as one of the greats. But I don't think we need to talk about him as a GOAT after only five years because what happens if things start to go down in the tank? To assume that he's just going to continue this trajectory and say, if every five years he wins two Super Bowls, he's going to play at least 10 more years. Like we don't know any of that. Stop doing that. So I started the show by saying we learned a lot. 
And uh, so here's one. I want to start with this. I want to start with this. I I asked myself the question because everyone was talking about Patrick Mahomes and how great he was and this and that. I know he was like 13 or 14 in the second half and blah, blah, blah. And oh, my God, he was amazing. Here's what I would say. If the Eagles win that game. If they do, if the Eagles pull that win out, are people sitting here today saying Patrick Mahomes is a GOAT? Or are people saying Jalen Hurts outplayed Patrick Mahomes in the Super Bowl? And what I mean by that is, is the praise for Mahomes strictly, is the praise for Mahomes strictly based on the fact that they, they won the game? And had he not won the game, would we still be praising him as much as we are? I would say no. So in the game, if I told you there was a game and you had two quarterbacks, One quarterback goes 21 of 27 for 182 yards and three passing touchdowns. He also ran the ball six times for 44 yards. The opposing quarterback went 27 of 38 for 304 yards, a touchdown. He ran the ball 15 times for 70 yards and three more touchdowns. So one quarterback had more completions and yards and touchdowns. Who outplayed who? Like just who outplayed who? If the if the if the defensive holding call is not made and they kick a field goal and Hertz is able to go down and lead them to a touchdown, which I think we all agree, like with a minute and like forty left, like we think the Eagles would have made it, right? Because neither team was able to stop the other at that point. They were just both just going back and forth. Like it was Right. We agree that they we we would all agree that they're getting a field goal at the very least. I think everyone who's watching that game would have agreed if they didn't throw that penalty and the kicker has to kick a field goal uh, from that from that spot where they were. They probably, you know, it's a different game. And at that point, I do think that we're talking about how Jalen Hurts outplayed Patrick Mahomes. But because Mahomes won, we look at what he did and saying, look at the plays that he made to contribute to winning. As opposed to saying, well, let's just say who played better? What quarterback do you think had a better day? And did you expect that going in? This is what I mean when I say we are results based. I think Mahomes would be criticized for once again being outplayed in a Super Bowl. I think he got outplayed against Tampa. Uh, Quite frankly, I think he got outplayed in the first Super Bowl they won against the 49ers. Except for the fact that Jimmy G just kind of always makes one less play like like he missed a wide open throw that would have won the super bowl patrick mahomes is very closely to winning no super bowl being 0 for 3 right like he's very close to being 0 for 3 in the super bowl and 0 for and being jim kelly right and i think that's where that's what's really annoying me about this whole goat conversation is because if you're going to look at the result and say, oh, well, he's the greatest of all time because look, he they won. It's like, yeah, but look at look at it deeper, look a little deeper to see what's actually happening here. And I'm not saying he got out. I'm not. What I'm saying is, this is just me. <laughs> this is just me getting it off my chest that I'm sick and tired of uh, uh, the sports world pretending as if. We don't know what's going like you're 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 praising the person who won and kind of like ignoring the person who lost, regardless of how good they were. 
Now, I don't think that Jalen Hurts should have won game MVP, even though they lost. Because again, how can you be the most valuable player if your value didn't lead to a win? I've said this a million times when they were talking about in the series with the Warriors that LeBron James still should have won finals MVP. It's like, how are you the most valuable player? You lost, They lost with you. Which means if I take you off the team and they're going to lose, well, they lost with you. So what value did you actually bring? You had the same result. Whether you were there or not, you guys lost. Your team was going to lose. So how do you have, how are you more valuable than the guy who won? The guy who was contributing to the wins is the guy who's the most valuable. Not the guy who's contribu- who's not contributing to wins. You lost anyway. So Jalen Hurts lost, so he shouldn't have been MVP. But there is no doubt that he outplayed Patrick Mahomes. Absolutely he did. He carried far more of a burden for his team than Patrick Mahomes did. Patrick Mahomes was able to lean on a running game. He was able to throw short passes to his guys. He didn't have to do everything. Jalen Hurts was the running game. Jalen Hurts was the passing game. So that's just something to think about. Would you be looking at these two quarterbacks and their games differently if the other had won? I think so. I think had, I think had, here's what I say. If Jalen Hurts won, if the Eagles won, we would be talking about, is that the greatest performance in a Super Bowl by a quarterback? Fact. That's exactly what the conversation would be all week. Did Jalen Hurts have the best Super Bowl performance of all time? Because again, we live in a society where we have, everything has to be the greatest, right? So that's what it would have been. So now I want to transition because it is like officially off-season time, right? It's officially the off-season for everybody in the NFL, and and this is my favorite time of year. This is when you start making decisions on roster cuts and roster moves, and the draft is coming up. And uh, next week, I'm going to have, I'm going to start my series uh, position rankings. I'm going to give you my top 10 quarterbacks in the draft. I'm going to start with quarterback. It's my favorite one. I'll probably spend the most time on it. And then we'll go position by position group and give you my rankings and guys that I love and things like that. So we'll start that next week. But what I wanted to get into was this. Actually, before we do that, I didn't. I never even answered the question. <laughs> so I, I started by saying we learned a lot. So one thing that we learned is the Chiefs set the blueprint for the NFL and specifically in my personal interest for the Dallas Cowboys. Here's how you build a Super Bowl team. Because guess what? You know what we learned? You know what we all learned as football fans? Defense doesn't win championships. It doesn't. The NFL is geared towards offense. It's geared towards offense. The most protected player on the field, the quarterback. The second most protected players on the field, receivers. You can't touch them. You can't touch them, can't grab them, can't bump them. So the, the all the rules are geared towards favoring the offense. We all know that as fans. So why do we still say defense wins championships? No, they don't. You can have a middle-of-the-road defense with an elite offense. You're going to win a championship. Name me the last, like, lockdown, great all-time defense that won a Super Bowl. I'll wait. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen anymore. You don't need to be the number one defense in the NFL to win a Super Bowl. You don't. It's way more important for you to have a great offense than it is to have a great defense. Give me a solid defense with a really good offense. I like my chances. That's the blueprint they set for the Cowboys. Hey, your defense is good enough. The Cowboys did not lose to the 49ers in the playoffs because their defense wasn't good enough. Their defense gave it, what, 19 points? 20 points? I don't even remember the score of the game. I blocked it out. Your defense is good enough. 
So going into the offseason, maybe pick up an extra piece here or there on defense, but don't go crazy. Don't spend all your money on defense. Invest in offensive weapons, and let's get this offense humming. That's the blueprint they set. Stop trying to have a lockdown defense. Have a good defense that can get a stop here or there. Timely stops here or there, one or two a game, and make sure your offense can put up points on 90% of their drives, whether it be field goals or touchdowns, and you're going to win most of your games, and you're going to win a championship. And if not, you're going to be in the championship fighting for it. Because let's look at the Bengals. They don't have a lockdown defense. Their defense is good enough to make a stop here or there, and their offense is able to put up points, they win games. That's what we learned. Now, another thing that came out of this game, and this, I promise you, is the last thing I'm going to talk about on this game before I move on. I was watching the game, and Nick Sirianni, uh, first of all, I don't like him. I think he's kind of a jerk. I think he's one of those guys that likes to celebrate all the time. And me, I believe that as a coach, you can't celebrate as if you're a player. You're not a player. You have to be a little bit more reserved, a little bit more mature, a little bit more professional than the players do. The player who spent the entire week running the play over and over and over and over and practicing it, gets in the game, in the Super Bowl, is running the route, catches the ball, scores the touchdown. Yes, you can celebrate. <laughs> You've been playing. What was that? <laughs> It's like I swallowed a bug, bruh. Anyway, my apologies, y'all. Um, I'm going to leave that in, too. I'm not going to edit that out. Uh, yeah, if you're a player and you score a touchdown, like, man, that's a childhood dream to do that. Like, unbelievable. great. If you're a coach, you don't go looking in the camera, like, showboating. Like, stop it. Stop it. But I was watching the game, and I said, man, something about this seems really familiar. And they were, and everyone's praising. He's a great young coach, great young coach, great young coach, all this stuff. And I kept saying, man, this sounds oddly familiar. Why does this, why does this feel like been there, done that? And I'm going to tell you why. And I looked at my wife, and I said, you know what this feels like? This feels like this guy is going to be the poster child for great young coach, and then in two years, he's going to get fired. Just like... And then the name came to me as if it was from the heavens, Doug Peterson. I said, this guy is the, doing the same exact thing for the Eagles that Doug Peterson did. This is exactly the same trajectory. Now, I thought, like, ah, maybe I'm crazy. Like, that's probably not true. Then I looked at it. This is Nick Sirianni's second year with the Eagles. He's playing in a Super Bowl. You know who else went to a Super Bowl in his second year as the Eagles head coach? You guessed it, Doug Peterson. You know what Doug Peterson's record was? 13-3. and three. Pretty interesting, right? I thought so. Both in their second year coaching, got to the Super Bowl. Both of them thought they were geniuses. Both of them were great coaches, great young coach, a new coach, blah, blah, blah. Look at this. Look at their history. Look where they've been. Same storyline, right? What a dream. Doug Peterson won the game, though. Went on to write a book. Everyone talked about how great he was as a coach. Man, this they can keep things going with Doug Peterson, blah, blah, blah. Two years later, he's getting fired. You know what was interesting about Doug Peterson? Carson Wentz. Young quarterback, was getting better every year. And in that season in 2017, when the Eagles did go and win the Super Bowl, Carson Wentz was having an MVP season. Tore his ACL in week 14, came back the next year, was not the same. And because he didn't have that quarterback, that quarterback never recovered. 
man, things look different for the Eagles, didn't it? And then he ended up getting fired. If Carson Wentz never had that injury and continued that same trajectory, Doug Peterson is still coaching the Eagles today. Because you paid all that money to Carson Wentz too. Carson Wentz got his money. And then had that injury and never quite came back from it. What happens if uh, Jalen Hurts gets all that money this year and then doesn't really take that next step that you're expecting him to? Would it really be a shock for the Eagles to take a step back? And if they take a step back, is it really a shock if Nick Sirianni gets fired? I know. John, what are you talking about? The Eagles? Sirianni's done so such a better job, blah, blah, blah. Let me, let me tell you another stat that blew my mind. In his first two seasons, in his first two seasons, Okay. Playoffs and regular season, Nick Sirianni is 25 wins, 13 losses. In his first two seasons. 25 and 25 and 13. In his first two seasons. What was Doug Peterson in his first two seasons? 23 and 12. 23 and 12. Crazy, right? Nick Sirianni first two years, 25 and 13. Doug Peterson, 23 and 12. Both of them got to the Super Bowl in their second year. Both of them were praised after that game for being great coaches. Both of them were considered to be, they're going to dominate the NFC East for for here on out. They're going to control the NFC. They're going to be able to get right back there. Like, look at the talent they got, blah, blah, blah. We all thought Carson Wentz was coming back. He's way better than Nick Foles. Watch out now. They're going to be even better next year. Kind of fell off a cliff. So I'm going to say it right now. On February 15th, 2023, Nick Sirianni will be getting fired from the Eagles within the next three years. I'm going to say two years from now, Eagles are looking for a new head coach. That's my guess. And if they're not looking for a head coach, it's going to kind of be like an Andy Reid situation where everybody wants him gone, but the organization is still holding on because they know, like, I don't want to let him go. But it's going to be like, hey, he should probably get fired. Two more seasons, just like Doug Peterson. So let's move on now to the offseason. So Derek Carr was officially released from the Raiders. Released outright. Free agent can go wherever he wants. How exciting is that? How exciting is that? And I compile, I started saying, you know what? I bet you there's a lot of teams that probably should strongly consider Derek Carr. And I said, let me go through and look at the starting quarterbacks and see what teams I think should really consider bringing in Derek Carr. So let's go through the list. I started off with Miami. I know they got Tua. But here's what I would say. Tua, number one, availability. Tua's going to get hurt every single season. Book it. He's going to miss time. Derek Carr doesn't miss time. He's there. He's available. Durable. Has proven that. And do you really think Tua's better than Derek Carr? What do you think Derek Carr is going to do with that offense, with those two receivers and Waddle and Hill? You don't think Derek Carr could do better than Tua? I think they should strongly consider it. And do you want to pay Tua? What do you do with that? Are you going to give him the big money when he's injured a lot? And I don't know. 
If I'm Miami, I consider it. Seattle, you got Geno Smith right now. You're going to have to re-sign him. Do you really want to, you know, you don't think Derek Carr is an upgrade over Geno Smith? The Cowboys, my favorite team. I know you're kind of saddled with Dak Prescott, but hey, man, like, figure it out. Derek Carr is better than Dak Prescott. Cowboys should be seriously considering it. The Buccaneers, obviously, they should be looking at him. The Packers, yo, move off Aaron Rodgers. You're getting a younger quarterback who at this point, again, you haven't won with Aaron Rodgers since 2009. So what's the big idea? Bring this guy in, move off of Aaron Rodgers, and keep it moving. The 49ers, Trey Lance, are you sure he's gotten injured every year? Are you sure? You don't like you don't even know what he is. Brock Purdy, like <sighs> did Brock Purdy do anything for you right this year that made you believe that he's going to be better than Derek Carr? Again, don't tell me about the success or the six and zero start or whatever. That's so much more to do with the defense and running game than it is that Brock Purdy put the team on his back and carried him anywhere. I think Derek Carr has shown you over the course of his career how much he can do. Brock Purdy hasn't shown you as much. So while you're not paying Brock Purdy anything, it might not be a bad idea to bring in Derek Carr. Arizona, I think I might be ready to move off Kyler Murray. Super talented, but small, injury prone at this point, issues with focus. You have your concerns about his leadership. There's all types of stories coming out. You might be thinking, let's get an adult in the in the in the house. Let's get an adult in there uh, and move off Kyler Murray. The Giants. I say the Giants because Daniel Jones is coming up on contract talks. And are you sold on Daniel Jones? This was the first year, again, that anyone thought that Daniel Jones was anything more than trash. And even if you look at it, like, do you really think Daniel Jones is irreplaceable? Do you think Daniel Jones has done anything to make you believe that going forward he can carry your franchise? If you look at, if you want to just talk about quarterback evaluation, like 100% Derek Carr is better than Daniel Jones on every metric of quarterbacking. Every single one. So if I'm the Giants, do I really want to invest all this money into Daniel Jones when I can get someone who I know has put up great performances, who I know has been a quality, not only player, but a quality human? This guy has, Derek Carr has been in no trouble, no controversy, always says the right things. Like, what are you talking about? If I'm the Giants, the question you have to ask yourself is, do we want to pay big money to Daniel Jones? Or do we think that Derek Carr can be a better option for us? I got the Titans. Ryan Tannehill, like, look, man, the past couple years, you know, health has been a concern and just consistency is not there. Like, I think you can do better with Derek Carr than than Ryan Tannehill. The Steelers. Now, I know they're not going to. You dr- just drafted Kenny Pickett. I get it. It's it's more or less like you would have to you would have to think about it. Right. You wouldn't be crazy if you're the Steelers to say, hey, man, should we? Should we? The Saints, they're in need of a quarterback. Obvious reasons. The Rams. Look, Matthew Stafford missed all of last year. And is he is he coming back? Is he going to be good when he comes back? Is he going to be able to do it when he comes back? You don't know. So let's let's move off of that. And then you got Baker Mayfield. Like, ugh. Do we trust him? So for that reason, I think the Rams should be in the market for it. The Panthers, obviously. The Falcons. I know they just drafted uh what's what's homeboy's name? Uh dude from Cincinnati. Why am I drawing a blank on his name? Either way, you know who I'm talking about. He He's, you know, are you sold? Do you think, like, we can't bring in Derek Carr because we got that other guy? No, I think the Falcons should be looking at it. The Patriots. 
Mac Jones is, is good for what you want, but maybe you need more. Maybe you need more than what you thought. Maybe you got to accept the fact that Tom Brady's not there and you, you know, you, you're, the Patriots are relying too much on everything else and just need Daniel Jones, not Daniel Jones, just need Mac Jones to just manage it. Just don't ruin it and then keep the games close and then hopefully make one play late. I, I think Belichick needs to get off of that philosophy. If you can get a guy that can come in and do more for you, then you no longer ha- your margin of error increases with Derek Carr over Mac Jones. With Mac Jones, you have no room for error. The defense has to be great. Special teams has to be great. The offensive line has to be great. If you bring in Derek Carr, you have a little bit more wiggle room because you trust him and he can do more than Mac Jones can. I got the commanders. Yes, you need a you need a stable quarterback to keep in there. The Colts, again, Matt Ryan, it's over, bro. It's over for Matt Ryan. It's over. The Texans and the Jets. So the Texans are interesting because the Texans have the number two pick. So you're either going to get Bryce Young or you're going to get C.J. Stroud, and you would think, do we go with the young rookie and and build him and develop him, or do we bring in Derek Carr? That's a tough decision to make. Do you go with the for short? Now, again, if you have the number two, let's say you're the Texans. You have the number two pick. If you go out and sign Derek Carr, now that number two pick becomes up for grabs because you also have the number 12 pick. So let's say you trade with someone like, let's say... Let's say the the uh, the Lions want to get frisky and they say, hey, you know what? We want to move off golf or we think golf is good, but we would like to get one of those quarterbacks to bring him in and have him sit for a year. Right. Maybe you want to do that. Well, the Lions have picked six and 18. So if you're the Texans, you can go, well, let me get six and 18 and you can get two and you can get that quarterback you wanted. Do you do that? Do you sign Derek Carr, trade the second pick for the six and 18th pick? Then you have picks six, 12 and 18. Now you can draft a bona fide left tackle, a tight end, and a receiver, or you can draft, you know, uh, you could you could you could build around Derek Carr, who is a proven commodity. There's no questions. Whether you like C.J. Stroud or you like Bryce Young, you don't know how good they're going to be in the NFL. You've never seen them in the NFL. You've seen Derek Carr in the NFL, and you know what he's capable of doing. You've seen him lead. The Raiders to the playoffs before breaking his ankle. You've seen him be a grown-up. You've seen him handle controversy when John Gruden uh, got released and all this stuff came out about what he was saying in the emails. You saw him handle that perfectly. Like You j- you know what you're getting with him. Do you say, hey, I'm going to go with the sure thing? Because what's Derek Carr, 31? Like He's got plenty of time left. Do you go with the sure thing in him and build around him with your draft picks? Or do you draft the young guy? That's an interesting decision to make. We could probably get into it more as the draft comes up, as rumors start to pop up about where Derek Carr might go. And then obviously, like I said, the Jets, like, yeah, you need to move off Zach Wilson. It's over. You've seen it. You don't like it. You don't trust him. You were starting Mike White. Like, let's be honest. Like, you don't like you don't like him. And if you can get Derek Carr in there with that young receiver group, Derek Carr, Garrett Wilson, psh, lights out. That, for me... For me, that's where I would like to see Derek Carr go, is to the Jets. Because I think the Jets' defense is good enough to keep them in games. I think the Jets' offense is good enough. They got a good enough running game. The offensive line is solid, and you got good receiver help. It would only take one or two additions on that roster. Give them a little bit more pop, a little bit more juice. You can get those guys late in the first round or second or third round. You can get a a receiver like a Tank Dell from Houston. 
And next thing you know, now you got now you got some action. So if I if I'm him, I w- I would think about doing that. That that would be my guess. So the last thing I want to talk about, I know I mentioned C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young, uh, and I just wanted to touch on something real quick before I get out of here for the day. So one of the things that I hear all the time, and it always made me uncomfortable, and this year it's a direct comparison, is quarterbacks from Ohio State. You know, this happened to Justin Fields. This happened to um, Dwayne Haskins. It happens to all of them. They always say, well, how good is this quarterback? And how much of it was the quarterback's really good? And how much of it was that the guys he's throwing to are just far and away better than everyone else? This is because Brian Hartline, the receivers coach, also happens to be an unbelievable recruiter. And they are getting five-star receivers left and right, two a year, four-star receivers. every Like the receivers that they're pulling in every single, every single recruiting class is just disgusting. It's not fair. Something's going on. <laughs> okay. So yes, CJ Stroud is throwing to elite receiver talent and you think, oh, I mean, he's putting up big numbers, but is that because he's so good or because the receivers he's throwing to are so much better than the defenders? And so they kind of knock him and say, oh, we don't really know. We don't really know. And yet they look at someone like a Bryce Young as if he is working with peasants. Alabama is a top three recruiting class every single season. Alabama puts receivers in the NFL like it's nobody's business. Alabama is working with just as much talent on the defense. In fact, more talent on defense than Ohio State. They are put. They are bringing in running backs that are going to the NFL like hotcakes. They are bringing offensive linemen that are going to the NFL like hotcakes. Like they are a powerhouse. And yet, for some reason... We don't look at Bryce Young and say, well, is he really good or did he just have like a stacked team? And for some reason, he don't. we don't ever talk about it. But when it comes to C.J. Stroud, we want to be like, well, you know, the receivers were really good. How good is he really? Like, what are you talking about? Alabama is more stacked than Ohio State. Ohio State's not competing for national titles every year. And then it hit me. Oh, yeah. SEC bias. Say what you want. Say, it doesn't matter what you believe. The reality is, is people look at the SEC like it's the NFL. When I was watching prospects so far um, this year, I've been looking at guys who were in the draft at different positions. I've been watching film. And as I'm looking at them, I noticed that I am kind of saying, hey, if there's a quarterback, has he played in SEC school? And what did he do against them? And you look at that to see, like, how good is he? And you judge him going against SEC. So, like, for example, I love Clayton Toon for um, Houston. Quarterback out of Houston. I love him. I love I Like, I so desperately want the Cowboys to draft him. That is my guy this year. He's my guy that I'm looking at saying, yo, obviously CJ Stroud, Bryce Young are number one and two. But I got Clayton Toon as number three. And he's not far from... Bryce Young in terms of how good he is, in my opinion. But when I'm looking at him, I'm looking at him saying, oh, he played at Houston. All right, the Athletic American Conference. I'm not that really that great. Like, who did he play? Did he play in the SEC schools? And sure enough, he played Houston in the bowl game. So what game did I go run to? Went to watch the Houston and, and Auburn game. Because that's an SEC school, and we judge them like, oh, look, that's the big guy. This is as close as he's going to get to playing NFL talent. 
and you watch what they do in those games. So I get it. There is a bias for the SEC. It's well-deserved. They, they have the top recruiting classes every year. They, they send guys into the draft like it's unbelievable. So I get it. And when you look at the Big Ten, you think of them as being slow, old school, not really athletic. And so you think Ohio State is on a level of Alabama, but their competition isn't. Not necessarily true, but there is a slight nugget of truth in there. And But my whole point is just like, look, judge them on what they do. I think C.J. Stroud is unbelievable because I watch him play and where he places the ball. To me, it doesn't matter that a guy is wide open down the field. My A perfect example is watch plays of C.J. Stroud throwing deep balls to wide open receivers. They're not stopping. They're not slowing down to catch the ball. They are running in stride, and the ball is dropping into their lap, and they're continuing on. There's no breaking down. There's no stopping. There's no slowing down. There's no underthrow. There's no I got to twist and turn to catch it. It's, not, it's on the money. The ball placement is where it's supposed to be. And then you look at someone like J.J. Uh, uh, McCarthy from Michigan when he's throwing it to wide open guys in that Ohio State game. Guys had to almost come to a complete stop to catch the ball and then take off again. But they're so open, it doesn't really matter. But, like, that wasn't a good throw. It's a terrible throw. The receiver had to stop. That's what I'm judging these guys more on is like, look, look at how many times there's a crosser and he's hitting that crosser in stride. Look how many times there's a deep throw. He's hitting in stride. Look how many times there's a there's a, a comeback or an out route and it's right where it needs to be. It doesn't matter who the receiver is. Where is the ball going? Is it going where it needs to be? Is there anticipation? Is he throwing it early? Is he throwing it before the guy breaks? Or is he waiting for him to be wide open? Can he throw against pressure? Like those are the things I'm looking at. CJ Stroud checks all the boxes. I just think it's odd that we constantly criticize certain quarterbacks, but then we look at others and make it seem as if they don't have advantages. Bryce Young at Alabama had every single advantage. They were the best team on the field every single game that they played. There was never a game that Bryce Young played where you didn't think Alabama was the best team. Maybe Georgia, maybe against Georgia. But otherwise, come on, man, they're stacked too. That's my time, y'all. Look, I really appreciate y'all coming through this week. Um, this week was a little tricky. It was a little weird because it was a lot of a lot of Super Bowl breakdowns. But like I said, I know you heard everyone else have their say. I finally got mine. You got the real, you know, whatever. Listen, mark down that prediction about Sirianni. I'm serious about that. Two to three years, that guy's out of there. We've seen this before. Uh, stop talking goat conversations. Uh, yeah, yeah, I think I'm good. I think I'm good for the week. Look, I appreciate y'all coming through. Again, follow me on social media at cyber underscore pod that's s-i-b-r underscore p-o-d and i will be back next week with a new episode we're going to start our draft talk next week and we're going to get into my top 10 quarterbacks in the nfl draft we're also going to talk about some free agent news because i'm sure there's going to be some rumors bubbling uh micah parsons is saying that you know he's he's reaching out to every single person on social media saying come to the cowboys so we're going to definitely talk about that uh, it's gonna be it's gonna be interesting. This is the off season. This is my favorite time of year as a football fan. I can't wait, and we will get into it. Also, uh, NBA is is gonna ramp up now. Now that they become big dog on campus, and then we even got some baseball starting up soon. So a lot to talk about next week. I uh, I'll see you guys then.